1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye with me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about a Nets win tonight over the Pacers 116-109. How are we feeling?
2: I mean, we won. All right, we won. It's it's good <laughs> to be talking a bit about basketball for pretty much probably all of this podcast.
1: Yeah, it is great to talk about basketball, and obviously it's great to talk about a win. It was not pretty in any way, but they got it done, and really at the end of the day. When we look back at the season, you know, that's all that really matters. You know, when you go to the postseason is the record. But you'd like to see more progress made. We're going to jump with that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, where do you want to start with this one?
2: I think the thing that I took away from it was Kevin Durant was incredible. I think this might yeah. have been his best game of the season. He was just everywhere and doing everything on both ends of the floor. 39 minutes, 13 to 22 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, hit all 8 of his free throws, 9 boards, an area that we've sort of touched on a little bit, and I think he's been caught out by some of his mates as well on Twitter. Seven assists, a steal, a block, only three turnovers, and 36 points. This was not the KD of old, but like the KD that we know he can be. And obviously, you can't necessarily expect this level of Kevin Durant at age 33, 34 for 82 straight games. But you know, we saw a slip in in the in the previous pace's performance, but he was the big reason why the Nets won this game in my eyes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was night and day and compared to the first half we saw him play against the Pacers on Saturday night. He was just locked in from the start. And like you said probably his best two-way game of the season and just his overall impact again seven assists nine rebounds just very active in every aspect of the game and really any of the negative plays was sometimes due to the lineups on the floor or his teammates not being on the same page you know there was a turnover in there where he threw a nice oop to Daron sharp and he just mistimed his jump you know that's that's not on kd for one of the turnovers so Really happy with his performance, but even more happy about his level of engagement and focus and leadership in this game. And like we talked about in the previous show, that first half against the Pacers seemed like he was disinterested right from tip in this game. You felt like he was trying to get that dub.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was the the tweet going around from next kingdom and I think Saint. Um, from Nets Kingdom tweeting out uh, the, the Kevin Rant, what the F are we doing? And Kevin Rant responded himself. But also, I think the, the what I liked, I watched the post game press uh, as well, the little post game on court sort of thing. And he said, you know, he, he was happy to sort of be there. And he's happy that he was able to break that record of, of Vince Carter, I think he's yep. now 19th, overtaking him. And he said he's happy to do it in a Nets uniform. And I was just like, ah, oh, I'm going to take note of that because. There are going to be days where Kevin Rand probably doesn't want to be a Brooklyn Met. There are days where we don't want to be Nets fans ourselves. But if you give Kevin Rand the the sanctum that is a, a basketball court, Barclays Center, or wherever else it is in the universe, and you allow him and give him the best opportunity to strut his stuff. Yes, there was no Ben Simmons tonight, no Seth Curry, and that's in in moments we saw greater flow without Ben Simmons out there. You sort of just see. When Kevin Rand is allowed to just have a pure focus of basketball, you get pure performances like this.
1: Yeah, and I think also when you see the floor, you know, just more balance and lineups make more sense, it's just easier for him to excel, especially offensively. You know, you saw maybe some stagnant possessions in this game where he was kind of thrown out there with no other ball handlers. And I think that's a concern with his team that we'll probably touch on maybe later or another episode. But like you said, it's happy to have these moments, and it was cool to see Vince Carter – kind of sent over the video to congratulate KD and the relationship that those guys have. So really happy with his performance in leading
2: the team to a win that was very much needed. Yeah, and I think the Nets at one point led by 24 points. You know, they're him yep. by like double digits for a lot of the game. And I think that's one thing that as a team overall that is separate. The good, the good teams are able to just let it go and go, all right, you got 15 points. We'll just keep this around here. The great teams turn 15 points into 30 points. The Nets aren't there yet. And they're figuring stuff out. They're two and five. There's obviously all the stuff we spoke about with Justin on, on the last podcast. But on the court, there were some positive signs, I think, overall as a team. And I think that was the thing that I was most enthused about. What happens when Ben Simmons returns after a bit of knee soreness. Uh, Seth Curry after a bit of uh, the ankle injury management there. But, you know, we saw a really good performance from Joe Harris. Kyrie continued to do uh, what he does on the court. Nick Claxton continues his most improved player campaign, Clax City Bitch, um, in, hmm. in full force. So I think that the team marks and the team benchmarks and sort of the, the ball flow, the three-point shooting, sort of and the rebounding, I thought that there was a, a real focus on that. And a couple of times, a couple of misses here and there. And I think defensively, there were some flashes and it was like, why are you going under on a buddy heel three? Sometimes yeah. it was just like, The Nets aren't a a, a, a great defensive team by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they're one of the worst. But we also did see, you know, glimpses of what we know. And I think this was one of the better games of the year. They might have even played better games against Memphis and, and Milwaukee in stretches. But ultimately, this is the one that matters, like you said, Nick, because it led to a W.
1: Yeah, I think defensively, you start to see some of their potential in terms of like steals and blocks. You know, they combined for 20 tonight, 11 steals, nine blocks. But the area that really hurt them was, you know, the Pacers also had 11 steals and five blocks, and the Nets committed 19 turnovers. And that's really a huge difference in this game because the Nets shot better by a good margin. And if they're able to just not be as sloppy with the basketball, they probably win this game pretty easily and have a double-digit lead throughout. Maybe it's not a 20-point blowout or a 30-point blowout, but that's where you need to see the cleanup. And you could even look at the same thing defensively, like you're mentioning, Jack. Some of the sloppiness, I think the lack of awareness is what kind of drives me nuts. It's like Chris Duarte was super hot in this game, was knocking down a ton of shots, and the Nets just really didn't care. You know, they just kind of allowed him to continue to get hot. And next thing you know, it's a 30 point game. And as you mentioned, you know, Buddy Hield was able to hit a three late in this game where there was a miscommunication between Kyrie and KD. And I I would probably put that more on Kyrie because in that situation, it was Miles Turner and Buddy Hield, And KD, I believe, was on Buddy and Kyrie was got switched on to Miles Turner. So obviously you want to get the big back on the big and the small back on the small. But for some reason, Kyrie Irving was looking to stay on Miles Turner instead of get up on Buddy Hield, And those are the things that just could cost you a basketball game. Yeah. The Nets won this one, but giving up late buckets like that, when you're just making a mistake is not good for a team that wants to be great.
2: Yeah. Got up against the bulls tomorrow who are a much better team than the Indiana yeah. places in terms of their talent on paper and the, the way that they're playing. Them. they're exceeding expectations in, in a lot of ways. Then if the Nets make the same mistakes tonight, they're not going to win. And yeah but, you know, going up a, a couple of back-to-backs, you know, this is where you find out the character of this team. And, you know, there are plenty of questions about the Nets character from top to bottom, whether it's the players or the coaches and stuff. But, you know, the, the ability to just grind it out is, is enthusing, but it could... They, they made a lot of mistakes that sort of were self-inflicted. I think Kyrie Irving... Yep was emblematic of that as you alluded to because you know i was sort of just trying to watch individual sort of matchups here and there and the way that Kevin around was sort of just go all right well i'm leaving james johnson that that's but that's in the scouting report i'm going to leave him and i'm going to help i think he was much more locked into the team defense into the individual assignments here and there and you know he had some big blocks as as did clacks and even joe harrison i thought was really solid defensively it was Kyrie Irving out of the starters that was probably making the most mistakes that led to you know a lot of good things happening for the Pacers.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it too wasn't even actually like physical mistakes. It was more of mental mistakes. You know, yeah. not making the right switch or you know one thing that Kyrie does and it kind of drives me nuts. And obviously we have a big enough sample size for watching him the last couple seasons is he's too willing to switch on the bigs. And then where guys are trying to help him and get him out of the paint, he wants to stay in the big. It's like my guy, you are six two you know, probably under 200 pounds, you have no business on a seven footer or a big forward in this league. It's just an easy bucket. And those are the type of things they need to clean up if they want to be a great team. Like, it's great that they won. Progress was made, but there's still just way too many mental mistakes for a team with a lot of veterans. Yeah, they haven't played a ton of years together, but basketball isn't the hardest sport in the world.
2: And the thing is, Kyrie's done this all of his career. You know, in, uh, in in Boston, he was asking for the assignments on Giannis when he got that <laughs> switch. It's like, dude, like, this is just not going to end well. And, yes, Kyrie Irving has some defensive flashes here and there, and he played 43 minutes tonight. And, and I think tonight, he's
1: good when he's on actual guards.
2: Yes, so do I. I. I think it's just, like, it's just pure physics. It's pure, like, you know, heights. Like, if I'm guarding someone, I'm guarding someone who's, going to be, you know, at a point guard or shooting guard position because that's my height in the NBA, but I'm not going to be you know, wanting to take Goga Batase or Miles Turner or any of these sort of guys, but I think one thing I'm continuing to be enthused about is just a, him and KD's ability to get to the free throw line and really sort of penetrate and the fact that we had, you know, still did shoot the ball amazingly, but 11 or 30 from three and Kyrie had four of 11 of those. That horse had six free throws, had four steals, six assists. You know His box score looks pretty nice, but I still think this wasn't one of his better games this year. I think he has been better because of all the sort of defensive stuff that we spoke about. And a couple of shots here and there where it's just like, Kyrie hero ball where there were might maybe better shots available and but I still think a, a pretty good performance and and a, this if this is the worst we get a Kyrie then I'm, I'm more than happy with that
1: yeah overall it was still a positive game and I think also I love the six assists in there too and the four steals I think the one thing and this is Kyrie and Katie there's a stretch in that fourth quarter where they settled for three threes back to back to back and there was no real you know, shot blocker on the floor. They had Jalen Smith out there, but the Nets had the floor space with five guys out at the perimeter. Just, like, get to the rim there, especially, like you mentioned, Jack, they did a great job the entire game kind of taking advantage of the lack of interior defense from the Pacers and getting to the rim or getting to the free throw line, and it was just weird that late in the game they were just settling for those threes, and I get it. Sometimes you have to take those shots, but at a certain point, going back to back to back where it's like a pull-up three. It's not even like this is a generated three. You know, you're making that extra pass for the wide-open look. That's the type of stuff they also need to clean up. You know, the stars were good, but there's still room for everyone to improve on this team because it was not a perfect game.
2: Yeah, I think that that comes down to a bit of awareness from, from KD and Kyrie themselves and also being able to react as a coach in the moment and go, okay, this is happening here this is what I need you to do, Joe. This is where I need you to cut Royce. This is where I need you to be, Utah, and and Clarkson stuff. Whereas, you know, h- hypothetically, this isn't me bringing up Bruce Brown for the sake of bringing up Bruce Brown, but when that happened last year, Bruce had a a, a, a game now that sort of uh, he had a good feel to know where to be, where to be around that sort of free throw line and, and make some dump out and kick out passes. Whereas this team is still figuring things out and sort of tendencies about each other. Joe Harris is getting his game field back uh, as well. And so I think that that's a, a work in progress. But I think that they were better at that. I think KD and Crow were much more willing to defer tonight. And as we heard, the Nets are so reliant on their stars. I think what Iron Eagle was saying, like, 89 points from the starters. And look, the bench wasn't amazing tonight. You know, Marquise Morris had three points. to Watanabe had five. Darren Sharp had four. Edmund Sumner had six. When you get Seth Curry hopefully back healthy, Ben Simmons back hopefully healthy, it'll push Joe Harris and all Royce O'Neal to the bench, which I don't know whether that is, should continue happening. But you know that's a, probably a bigger discussion for another day. Once we you know have a, a greater sample size of
0: different lineups and such, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed.
1: But yeah, there is, a I think play. I have an early take is I think I would like to see Joe back in the starting lineup. I think of Royce. Probably, the, the I page. think I'm probably dropping Royce O'Neill just because okay. he's very, he's too hesitant on the three point shooting. And I think we've mentioned a couple podcasts ago, it's almost becoming a, a lack of floor spacing because he is turning down open threes. And obviously he's not an elite three point shooter. Joe Harris is Seth Curry is. And when you're playing him alongside, you know, Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton, it becomes just too much for Kyrie and Katie, in my opinion. I mean, ideally, you don't play Clax and Ben together and you could find, you know, four shooters and play one of the two. But at this point in time, that doesn't seem like a realistic starting lineup based off
2: of what the Nets have done so far this season. Yeah, and how poorly that has performed. You, know, you don't need to listen yeah. to us. You can listen to every general NBA podcast speaking And you
1: can check the stats. It's the, what was it, like the worst starting lineup, the worst lineup in the NBA that logged over X amount of minutes. So it's, you know, the stats are saying it's bad. And I thought Joe, honestly, if we want to move over to Joe. I thought this was probably one of the best defensive games I've seen him play in a long time. And
2: it's really impressive considering the ankle injury he's coming off of. Yeah, because a lot of it was, great footwork great lateral movement the ability to sort of move his body laterally to you know force you know guys to drive opposite ways and change hands and and his physicality is always something that we've noted on on the buzz before about you know being a key area of why he's a a decent enough defender and you know he has all of the requisite skills you know he's big enough you know he's he's bigger than you know around the same size as sort of Royce O'Neill, and he's just a much better shooter but I thought yeah tonight he was you know incredible he had you know, the, the three steals in the block, and you could tell, you know, that was reflective of some of the great stuff that he did do tonight. You know, he only had seven points and three or six from the field, one or two from three. But if you're looking beyond the box score, what Joe did tonight defensively, Nick, was pretty outstanding in, in a lot yeah, of ways.
1: It really is, in like, not to be, like, a Joe Harris promoter, but I think this is kind of the thing that you appreciate about him is, like, he's always willing to buy into his role. Like you said, he scored seven points and only attempted two, three. He played really well. I also think he's a good ball mover. He's not a secondary ball handler, but he at least can dribble a little bit, drive a little bit, make a play here and there. You know, that's that's what you really need. And that's sometimes what you don't get from Royce O'Neal. I think that's where it's it's like Royce O'Neal would be great as a fifth starter. But the problem is, is the Nets are asking him to be a third or fourth starter because, you know, Ben Simmons isn't playing up to his caliber. He's not playing
2: at an all star level. Yeah, and he's sort of uh, the the proxy three to five. You know, when you got Royce Neal, Nick Claxon, Joe Harris, those guys have similar sort of burdens. You know, Royce and Neil took nine shots tonight. Nick Claxon took 11. Joe Harris took six, but probably could have taken uh, a couple more. But I think the one thing that we've always said of Joe and a lot of other people said of Joe, and Kevin Rand has even said to Joe, just shoot it. Just, like, take some shots. Yeah. And now the, the, one that, the shot that enthused me most tonight, Nick, out of the – the six he did take was the one that he hit on the, the sort of floater sort of layup of the straight line yep. of drive. That's where you know Joe has more fluidity to his game, he, a more complete game. We know he's always going to be one of the better three-point shooters in the league. His mechanics are gorgeous, and he's getting his legs under him, and the, the volume hopefully will increase as time comes. And maybe it will increase when he, his minutes start to increase as well. But that sort of shot is where, okay, the next one you want to see him take is that one sort of from either elbow or either free-throw line sort of side where he, he that's a sort of comfortable sort of mid-range shot that he likes, and that's where you've got you know a, a more capable three, maybe not three-level scorer, but he can shoot it from three levels. He's decent. Just enough an
1: offensive strength. threat, you know what I mean? He's not just yeah. a three-point threat. He's an offensive threat. Exactly,
2: exactly. But look, I I, I would probably advocate it for it as well. And but I'm wondering if the reason why it hasn't happened or isn't happening is because Joe Harris. Look, in the 29 minutes Joe Harris is out there, he was sweating big time, as was KD, but I think Joe Harris is still getting a level of game conditioning to him, so maybe by game 15, 20, we see this happen, and probably a lot of people are going to be calling for it earlier, but maybe you say, okay, Royce O'Neal, 33 minutes, Joe Harris, 33 minutes. I think we haven't seen Joe play 30 minutes plus yet. I think on a back-to-back, maybe you're a little bit more conservative, but come a, a couple days' time against the Wizards, maybe that's when you sort of go, okay, Joe, you want to start now? How are you feeling? These sort of things. Because it, it's, we don't know what's going on with him. We were really worried about him just a, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, but he seems to be working his way into it. And the, the game feel is still there for Joe. And defensively, a lot of the time, you get that confidence, defense to offense, and, and it sort of feeds each other. So uh, a really positive sign for Joe Harris tonight. And if you're actually watching the game, those seven points to go along with all the defensive stuff that he did were, were beyond comparison. His gravity
1: is huge. There's a play in this game that sticks out in the second quarter. I want to say um, on the right side of the floor, you had uh, Royce and Kyrie. Katie ran a pick and roll with Nick Claxton. And Joe Harris is on the left wing. The defender that's on Joe Harris cannot help. And they're, they're going to blitz Kevin Durant. And Nick Claxton catches a wide open alley-oop. And it's just because... You're what are you gonna do? You're gonna, you know, go help on a Nick Claxton roll, or you're gonna leave Joe Harris wide open at the three point line. You know, it just it just forces the defense to make a decision. And over the course of the first five or six games of the season, the Nets have made it too easy for the defense where okay, we'll help off Royce O'Neill and send two at Kevin Durant, we'll help off a Ben Simmons, and send two at Kyrie Irving. You know, there's too many times where there's a level of comfort for the defense in terms of how they can try to slow down Kyrie and KD. You know, you put an offensive player out there like Joe, who is at least playing, you know, average defense with a lot of energy and effort. And I think at the end of the day, that's all you really ask for. And it's not like Royce O'Neal has been, you know, God's gift defensively. He's been good, especially with the
2: steals. But he's he's had his ups and downs, especially in that Memphis game. Yeah, yeah, that game was the one that, that stuck out severely. And it's just going to be a, a bit of a management issue for Steve Nash if he continues to be the coach, which we have our reservations about in saying that, but Nick, it's, it's, we, we introduced Clax city at the start, but 19 points, nine of 11 from the field, only one rebound away from a double double had nine rebounds, including three offensive four assists to yep. go with four blocks. The, the way Nick Claxton's confidence is just blossoming right now. It's, he's turning into a, a very, very good center. And, Yes, obviously people are going to argue certain things about him and, you know, make arguments about whether he should continue to start and is he a true like, you know, rim-protecting big. But just look at him as a basketballer and just look at what he does with all the sort of little things. And I'm liking he has more confidence with the ball in his hands now, which is something he just seems to me. Well, you spoke about Joe Harris as just a more complete offensive player. Nick Claxton seems like a more complete offensive player as well.
1: Yeah, he does. I think one thing for Clax, and this has been, you know, somewhat consistent through his early career, but it, at times it has kind of been all over the place. I think his energy and effort level. When he plays with the energy he played tonight, he's just going to have an impact on the game. You know, it's going to be on the boards. It's going to be getting easy layups. It's going to easy dunks. Whatever it is, I think Yes Network posted a stat that, you know, Clax is either second in the NBA or might be first in the NBA in dunks after this game, just because of the opportunities out there. And this isn't a shot at Ben, but. Clax looks so much more fluid when he shares the floor with a, with a shooter or multiple shooters rather than having that clogged paint with him and Ben down there. So really you can just see how he can excel, and defensively he brought great energy. He outperformed uh, Miles Turner
2: severely. Yeah, and uh, Miles Turner coming off a little bit of an injury. He's been back and forth and clearly wants to be in He Lakers. played good
1: against Washington, though, um, prior to the Nets game on Saturday, so I, I don't want to give him too much of an excuse.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's got thoughts elsewhere of of Lakerland after what he said. Yeah. Too busy announced. podcasting. Yeah, shout out to Cable. Um, we're very busy <laughs> podcasting as we are on the Brooklyn Buzz. But Nick, any final sort of starters thoughts uh, before we get to, to, to the bench?
1: Not really. I mean, and again, not to get back to the whole spacing thing, but you can just see how much more fluid the offense is when you're not playing two non-shooters. And obviously that's not a hot take or anything that's something we've talked about for the last couple seasons you know pretty much since the Warriors have existed in the NBA trying to eliminate as many non-shooters as possible on the floor is a huge thing to do and it's going to be a problem probably for the Nets until they figure that out and I don't think there's a direct answer or a direct solution to you know having Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons in the starting lineup I think it's just going to continue to be some level of an issue unless the Nets are able to really implement an offensive screen that screams off ball movement. And Ben Simmons can refine his ability to attack the rim with real aggression. And by mean real aggression, I mean trying to dunk on anybody in front of him. And right now that seems
2: far, far from happening. Yeah, I don't think either of those things can happen. I don't think our coaching staff is yeah. good enough. I don't think Ben Simmons is in the, the headspace. I, I don't think
1: do. any coaching staff could implement that system in the season. Like the Warriors are uh, one of the best systems, one of the best, you know, cohesive units you will ever see in NBA history. And that didn't happen in one summer. You know, it, it happened over the course of time and also happened because they have two, you know, godly level shooters who move off ball better than you know,
2: probably 95% of the NBA, maybe 98% of the NBA. But the thing is, we saw tonight, Nick. You know, KD had some some nice back cuts. Kyrie, I think, yeah. is a really willing cutter as well. So it's not that those guys can't do that. I just think that the the coaches need to ha- hold a level of responsibility and, and to themselves and actually do something to affect the game because I don't think that... Look, I've had plenty of reservations about our coaching stuff and they're not, they're not the reason we're doing and fight, but they are a part of it. Yeah, I would say this. Steph is the highest level of
1: athlete conditioning wise that I think exists in like sports. So I think like expecting that out of Kyrie and Katie at times can be difficult, especially because they're not having that guy who can handle more of the ball handling duties. You know, ideally Ben Simmons would be that guy, but he's not at that point. And I just, it's also, I think takes away a little bit of too what Kyrie and Katie are so great at, you know, they're great at isolation scores. Like they're two of the best isolation scores in the NBA. So it's just like, trying to find a balance with this group is going to be really hard because some guys do things really well, some guys do things really poorly, and they excel when maybe the Nets' five best players aren't on the court, but maybe there's five players that just fit better than the actually you know, top five most talented
2: guys on the team. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because Kevin Rand and Kyrie Irving's numbers, uh, isolation-wise, have, have dipped a little bit, and there are players who are, uh, have overtaken them in that department, so I think... I would are- say
1: this to defend them is the sense is like they're also being put in a situation that doesn't allow them to excel in isolation. And it goes to having Claxon and Ben Simmons on the floor. It's just the pain is clogged. So now instead of having the threat of driving to the paint is not there, it's almost you're forced into a pull-up contested shot because there's just not room to operate. Or it reminds me, you know, against the better teams, you didn't see this against the Pacers, you know, guys are at the nail guys. You're taking two steps in because, there's not necessarily that offensive threat that can punish them. And Royce O'Neill kind of adds to this because we've talked about him being hesitant from three. So it's just like the the lineup combinations and the roster at times aren't allowing your best players to excel, in my opinion. No, and
2: I think Simmons and Claxon aren't incredible screeners. So I think that's yeah. uh, that's pretty obvious to sort of say. So like if you're gonna utilize them in both actions, I think Claxon's S- improved as an off-ball screen. I think Simmons just hasn't had a game awareness right now or, or a game confidence to sort of go, okay, I want a screen here. I'm, I'm just doing – he seems to just be very mechanical right now. And, and look, that's a
1: discussion. A lot of offensive fouls too. I think he's been called for – seems like one in every single
2: game with an illegal screen. Yeah, he's just – it's just not natural for him. But, yeah, uh, the, the solutions are somewhat there, but who knows? It's up to Steve Nash and, and the coaching staff to figure it out. That's what they're – they are paid to do. Uh, look. I don't seem to have the answers. Your, your answers are are pretty switched on. Maybe you, you find a way to go, all right, clacks, we want like six incredible minutes from you. We, we can go for all every offensive rebound and stuff, and it we'll get you off the bench. Or Ben Simmons, do the same sort of thing. You are the guy that's going to take all these shots, like you did against Milwaukee, and some of those shots were bad. And then we'll sub you off, and we'll put you with with Kyrie and and some of the best. I think so. that
1: Jack, I think that that's like probably the best thing they can do right now. the The plan that you have is make the quick sub at the six minute mark, and then just only play that lineup for the first six minutes of the first quarter and the first six minutes of the fourth quarter. I mean, of the third quarter. And then from that point on, you try to avoid those two on
2: the floor as much as possible. Yeah, you have to because just how things are constructed right now, but. Nick, bench, shut up. Good to see that. new Utah, what's the getting some minutes. Yeah, I mean, the Nets
1: are really leaning into Utah. You know, this is what? His third straight game closing? That's yep. a pretty big deal. Um, you know, you just want to see the growth from him. He's getting those fourth quarter minutes. He's developing a chemistry with the stars. I think at times the offense gets a little stagnant because he's not sure what to do or where to screen or how to be involved. But, you know, knocked down a three. Had a really nice drive in this game. I thought he also had another nice drive, which... I don't want to say it was a bad call, but it was definitely a 50-50 charge in which he got called on. Even Steve Nash was kind of, you know, giving him his, you know, normal claps for a, a good play and a good take. So really happy
2: with Utah's play. Yeah, he's just willing to do stuff. He's yeah. not incredible at anything. In fact, he's probably below average at a lot of things. But because he has a confidence and a willingness to make mistakes occasionally and and, and occasionally actually execute, you know, take a couple of threes try and get a couple of balls. He's not really a great rebounder. He's not really a great shooter, but he's going to do you know, a, a few things here and there that are going to be positive for the team. He's going to want to make some screens. He might be in the wrong spots, but he's also a guy that is the the prototypical type, wing type that you want to sort of have out there for certain stretches. And he's also a, a pretty good defender as well. So good to see Utah continue to get some minutes uh, for the Nets.
1: Yeah, I think he's a great, a great bench piece. And yeah, he's no, going to be a, a guy that's kind of the fifth guy in a lineup. You know, he's not yeah. going to be a high level influence, but he's going to make those extra hustle plays and play his role. And I think, you know, those guys carry a lot of value in the NBA. And like you said, Jack, he's probably just average in a lot of categories. But that makes you a pretty good player because you don't necessarily have a huge weakness if you're played in the proper lineups and
2: roles. No, that that's it at the end of the day. Um, who did you want to get into next when it came to the sort of bench guys? We can sort of maybe collectively go through Daron Sharp, Edmund Sumner, Patty Mills wasn't really out there enough to sort of, and obviously a bit of Marky Morris, who was doing some stuff off the court with some of his, his media stuff, sort of what you called for in terms of Jeff Green uh, in the last episode. Mark Keith seems to be sort of saying a bit. I had the league pass stream on, and when they sort of went to the bench a couple of times, Mark Keith was was quite vocal, chatting to the likes of Katie, to the likes of Utah, and these sort of guys. So that was cool to see as well. Yeah,
1: I think Mark Keith definitely can have that off the court influence. I think his on the court influence to be honest, is a little questionable right now. You know, played 10 minutes, had three turnovers, knocked down a three, I had two rebounds, but just looks a step slow, and his focus at times isn't there. You know, there's just a couple of plays here and there where he's making rookie mistakes, and he's a, a grizzly vet. You know, he's a guy that's been in this league for a long time, and you you sign him to make those plays you know and not make those mistakes so some of that too could be him kind of getting back in game flow and just kind of finding his role with his team and as i've mentioned earlier in the season i think his conditioning could improve as well because he looks pretty slow no
2: and i think it's going to come with time he's working his way back from a few injuries here and there and a lot of guys use the the regular season to do that so it's going to be 10 minutes, 15 minutes here and there, hopefully build it up to, to 20 or so, hitting those three balls and, and have an impact. But yeah, he shouldn't have three turnovers in 10 minutes either, but he also hit a three ball and, and had a dime and, and had a couple of boards. So I think it, it's 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 disappointing that with the Nets have so many guys that are sort of working their way into fitness or being in and out because of injury stuff, but it's just the nature of the beast. You know, it's a, it's a marathon. So have a semblance of patience and, and hopefully can continue to have an impact on and off the court.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Edmund Sumner overall I thought was positive in this game. He provides a level of aggressiveness in driving the lane. You know, that three-point shot is just not there. Maybe it'll kind of return at some point in the season. I also thought they brought him in the fourth quarter. He did a pretty good job on kind of staying in front of Buddy Healds. So Sumner I think is just like a good bench player to have that's probably a fringe rotation player as of right now. But you can see him in spurts in certain lineups in certain areas where he can excel. Like transition, he is awesome. But there's other areas where he can definitely look to improve.
2: No, he's he's obviously got a ways to go.
1: And Dayron Sharp, I I mean I've never truly been high on Dayron Sharp. I think you have to really look to you know fill in another a center on this this team. You know he there was some positive plays, but there's just too many plays where he's just not aware of what's going on. You know, he's he's the center of the defense. And I think we've talked about this in the past. It's a tough position to play, especially when you're young. You know, there's a different type of responsibility being only big on the floor. And at times, you know, Sharp just isn't isn't up to the standard, I think, for an NBA rotation player as of right now. And I think there's clearly limitations in his game. You know, he's not this guy that jumps out of the gym. He's limited somewhat offensively and his lateral quickness can be questionable at times. So, like, until he's developed it's going to be hard for him to be a great NBA player. And I think right now the Nets need somebody who's more consistent and maybe even less talented, but
2: has that bar of play that floor of play that, you know, what you're getting. Yeah. There's a semblance of reliability and production that the Nets need more from their bench. And they just don't have it right now. Maybe, maybe, throwing cam thomas Kessler edwards you know a, a bone every now and then wouldn't hurt but i don't I would see throw
1: cam a bone for sure i think uh one thing that sticks out in this game especially in the the Kyrie and katie like solo lineups out there they need another ball handler and cam is really one of the only other capable guys on this team you know seth curry can do it a little bit but cam can truly create and drive and set some things up and we we've seen flashes for him so I'm not a fan of him not getting any minutes or any burn to start the season. I think there have been opportunities and I think a two game set against the Pacers is a great chance for you to throw Cam Thomas out there and let's, let's see what he can do for a little bit. You know, he plays terrible for four minutes, bench him. It's not like this team is locking anybody down defensively and he can't be worse than Patty Mills who, who got cooked by TJ McConnell in less than one minute
2: of play. Yeah, exactly. But Nick, any other thoughts before, I guess, it's worth discussing the the notion uh, that we had a, a couple of courtside um, visitors with the uh, wearing the fight anti-Semitism uh, t-shirts, and uh, I think of the Jewish community. And you know, fair play to them, you know, freedom of speech, as it is with, with Kyrie Irving. But you know, it'd be remiss of us not to at least discuss or at least put that out there because you know, our duty is to recover the game as, as best as we can. And that was a part of the game. We saw it on the S yes network. Those guys were there, and all power to them, and all power to Kyrie, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think, to be fair to Kyrie, it's also important to note he did delete the tweet that he had posted previously. uh, Thank you, Nick Fidel, who's clearly been stalking
2: Kyrie like an ex-lover.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's getting his clicks. Um, But, you know, I think... um, it's a, a not a great situation. The Nets seem to be handling it internally, Steve Nash, as mentioned, and that they're kind of look to you know grow from it and do better moving forward. We're not going to really spend that much more time on it. If you want to hear our thoughts, you can check out the last podcast. We dove pretty deep with uh, Justin Thomas of Nets Republic
2: yeah i thought that justin did a great job and i think having that third person it was a, a good opportunity to have a full breadth of discussion and, and hear those differing thoughts to and you know everyone's entitled to their own and we uh, the easiest thing as brooklyn nets you know podcast hosts is that we denounce hate speech and, and discrimination of all forms it's uh, i think i said that on the last pod and i'll continue to say that so yeah 100% as simple as that. But it was thankfully this podcast allowed us to spend ninety eight percent of it talking about hoops, and we'll be doing that uh, tomorrow against the Bulls as well. Yes, sir, Jack. Any other final thoughts on this game before we get out of here? Nick, do you think Ben Simmons comes back? Obviously, this podcast isn't going to be necessarily evergreen. And by the time people may listen to it, we may have that information. Do you think Ben Simmons will be back against the Bulls?
1: I think so. You know, they said it left knee soreness, and it, the, the way Shams kind of described it in his report that he'd probably play one of the two games you know, rather than play both of them on the back to back. So, you know, hopefully he comes out with good energy. And I think there has to be some level of like competitor in Ben Simmons to see like Nick Claxton excel out there. And you have to like realize that like you have to play better because Nick Claxton is playing better than Ben Simmons. And I've mentioned this to you on air and off air like I kind of like Klax more right now. Like, I kind of like what he's doing. The The intent he's playing with is just better than what Ben Simmons is doing. And Ben, obviously, on his best day, is a substantially better player, but he's not that guy right now. So, you know, I think at times you're going to have to look at the situation and Ben has to look at it and be like, wow, Klax is really excelling. Can I just do all the things that Nick Klaxon doing out there at a super high level and more? Yeah, you can. We just need to see you do it on the court. So that that has to be something in the back of his head if he wants to get back to being the player we know he can be.
2: Yeah, and look, shout out to my girlfriend because she was watching the game with me and she was like, doesn't it look like Ben Simmons wants to be there? Like, you're getting paid tens of millions of dollars. Like, come on, my guy. And look, uh, I'm not a person that reads too much into the bench stuff a-, a lot of the time, but I just want Ben Simmons to continue to grow. And we got, you know, nine points. Hopefully we get a double-digit performance enough from him this is a guy that should be able to get double digits in his sleep purely because of a guy that could should just be able to get some offensive boards some dunks some putbacks some steals to slams like it's sh- the bar for him should continue to get higher as games go on and by game 20 we should be expecting 15 20 whatever that mark might be we should be expecting close to the the best version of ben simmons and, and i'm wanting that I like think all Nets fans are wanting
1: that. Yeah, and I've said this before, and I, I'm not here to, you know, trash Ben Simmons or anything like that. I think the best version of the Nets includes the best version of Ben Simmons. You know, I think if they're able to hit their, you know, their goal, it's going to be because Ben can really turn it up. And I think I won't feel great about Ben until I see him attacking the rim and trying to dunk on guys. And until he does that, or at least attacking the rim when trying to create a level of contact. And until he does that, it's just going to hinder his game and hinder the offense and hinder the team. Simple as that. And just a quick note, I think we'll see Seth Curry tomorrow, too. I think it's kind of just a back-to-back thing. And he kind of mentioned it's going to be a slow grind, kind of getting back into the mix. So I wouldn't expect him to play very well moving forward until he kind of gets his feet under
2: him. Yep, it's sort of like he's using this as a preseason, so it's the start of the year. 100%.
1: All right, Jack, as always, a pleasure. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?